Another summer has come and gone in New York, but not before state financial regulators finished their ritual of reviewing health insurance premium rates proposed for individual and small groups and deciding, like they do every year, that the rates proposed by the insurance companies needed to be lowered. But left unsaid, at least without some digging, is how much New Yorkers who use these regulated health plans will actually be paying for their coverage. To answer that question and reflect on the cost of health insurance more broadly, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Bill Hammond, the senior fellow for Health Policy at the Empire Center for Public Policy, a conservative-leaning think tank based in Albany. Welcome back to the show, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here, David. So, for starters, what are the types of insurance plans that have their premium proposals reviewed and ultimately set by the Department of Financial Services? This review process is known as prior approval. It affects fully insured plans, like when you go out and buy car insurance, You're buying a policy that fully insures you. A lot of employers do what's called Mm self-insurance, especially large employers. They are not covered by prior approval. And as a result, prior approval mainly applies to small group plans, meaning employers of 100 or less, and individual policies that it's pretty uncommon, but people go out and directly purchase insurance from a company. That's about 10% of all people with health coverage in the state. It's a regulatory policy that applies to a minority of the health insurance market. Well, turning to the decisions, at least what was announced from the State Department of Financial Services, the so-called individual plans saw their proposals struck down by about 44% from what was asked for in May, and the small group rate proposals from this spring reduced by about 52%. What does that mean, though, in terms of what people are, are actually paying, because these are percentages, and how should we think about this general announcement from state regulators? I suspect that there's a certain amount of kabuki theater going on. The regulatory process starts with the health plans applying for an increase, and then the Department of Financial Services reviews those applications, and then it issues its determination. The plans know that the Department of Financial Services is going to usually dramatically reduce what they ask for, so they ask for a big number, knowing that they're going to get a smaller number. In this particular year, their requests on the individual plan side averaged 23%, I think it was. The Department of Financial Services knocked that down to an average of 12%, so they can say, well, we cut it almost in half. But still, a 12% increase was the the bottom line final decision, and that's a pretty big increase in health insurance, 12%. In the state that already has some of the most expensive health insurance in the country, people are going to be paying an average of $650 per person for for all of the people who were covered by this decision two weeks ago. Well, I want to come back to something you said there about the idea that this is kabuki theater, because we've spoken with the head of the group that represents the insurance companies, the New York Health Plan Association, and they've said that uh, the rates they filed in May reflect underlying costs and were reasonable. But it sounds like you think that they sort of cook the book, so to speak, that the proposals that they introduced in the spring are not necessarily what they need to survive, but what they need to build in some cushion because they know there's going to be a cut later on, and and those are potentially the rates that make sense for them financially. 
I wouldn't say they cook the books, but there is room for interpretation and room for competing estimates of what things, you know, they're, they're trying to forecast what their expenses are going to be. We're, what we're talking about are rates that are going to be paid in 2024, and that doesn't even start for another, what is it, three months. Mm-hmm. So so they're, they're trying to forecast what health ex- expenses are going to be in 2024. They don't even know how many customers they're going to have in 2024. So they're they're doing a lot of forecasting. Now they have serious forecasters, they have actuaries who are who are trying to do this in a scientific way, but they are also making assumptions about what the trend is going to be. And they also to be fair, they build in a cushion, like you say. They build in if they're a for-profit company, they build in a profit. If they're a not-for-profit company, they build in a surplus that they can build into their reserves. So they have an idea of what they think the ideal amount of money to make would be. And then the department comes back with a a more conservative idea. There are occasions where the department makes a bad call on that and gives them, doesn't give them enough money. And there was an insurance company back in 2015 that went out of business because its rates were too low. And they had asked for higher rates, and the department said no, and the company ended up going out of business. So the, the state sometimes errs on the too low side. I think the companies have been trained by this process when they make an application that they should put their request on the high side. Like I say, the bottom line is what matters for the customer. And the bottom line here is 12% for individual plans and 7% for small groups. And those are pretty hefty increases on top of what are already some of the highest premiums in the country. Well, then is the answer for state regulators to simply crack the whip even more aggressively? Should they put increases that are in line with, say, inflation in order to help control growth? Or is the answer something beyond prior approval? I would argue, okay, so this is going to be a little bit of a complicated point, but the department's main purpose is not to control insurance costs. Its main purpose is to assure that insurance companies are financially sound so that when you buy insurance and you have a claim, the insurance company will be able to pay that claim. That was the original reason for regulating insurance companies is that they would sell a bunch of policies and then when the claims came in, they would be bankrupt and they wouldn't be able to pay the claims. So the main purpose we have an insurance regulatory system is to assure that there's enough money there to pay claims. This whole prior approval thing was kind of layered on in 2010 and there was a, a similar version of it years ago. And I believe it gives the department a conflict of interest. On the one hand, they're supposed to make sure the insurance companies have a, enough money. On the other hand, they've taken on this role of supposedly controlling the price of insurance. I will point out that if the goal is to control the cost of insurance, this policy is manifestly not working. As I've said a couple of times, we have some of the highest insurance rates in the country. This policy's been in effect for 13 years. The gap between our prices and the rest of the country has only gotten wider in that time. So if, if the goal is to keep 
insurance affordable, this policy is not accomplishing that goal. If you just look at the bottom line results, you might argue that it's backfiring. I'm not sure I know what mechanism there would be for it to backfire, but it's certainly not accomplishing its goal. Do you think there's a potential that by not awarding the insurance companies the rates they requested, they're going to have to make up that revenue elsewhere? I mean, is there reason to believe that they might charge more for other insurance products, like uh, something they might offer through other employers? I guess it's conceivable, but but the the large group rates are generally better than the small group and individual rate. Not only are they lower, but they're more competitive with the national scene. I think this is a marketplace, right? Ideally, this is a company selling a product and customers buying the product. In most cases, the customer is not an individual, it's the employer. And the employer is looking at the quality of the product and they're looking at the price and they're making a judgment about what's the right balance of product and price, coverage and cost. Why the state needs to intervene in that, I'm not clear. We have a we have a competitive insurance market in the state. We have a lot of companies who are selling health insurance in New York State. The state should regulate with a lighter hand and let, let market forces do their thing. Well, without the financial intervention here, is it possible that the individual market plans would have had an average increase of 22% as they originally proposed without some sort of threat of intervention? We got a 12% increase. So when we say that the state is effective in controlling costs, because we've seen what the health insurance companies wanted to do, theoretically, if left unchecked. If you're going to do the thought experiment, you have to wonder, what would the rates look like if prior approval didn't exist. I believe it. I and believe the health insurance companies prevented their best guesses and took an honest swing at things. <laughs> well, if you are an insurance company and you raise your rates 25%, you're going to lose a certain number of customers. They're going to go to another company that's offering a cheaper product, even if it's a lower quality mm-hmm. product. And so you're going to balance how many customers you want to keep versus how much you want to charge. That process... I think experience has shown in other markets that process does a good job of balancing what people want in quality in terms of what they're willing to pay for. And I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work in this situation. And and the evidence indicates to me that in that period of time when the state stopped doing prior approval, it's not like the cost of insurance plummeted, but it actually was closer to the national average than it is now. I think some people assume that if insurance companies were left to their own devices, they would just charge dramatically more and they would keep it all as profit. But there's a separate rule called medical loss ratio that says insurance companies have to spend at least X percent of their money on claims. Um, I believe it's 85%. So if if they increase their premiums, they increase the amount they have to spend on claims just by the working of that law. So they already have an incentive not to keep too much in profit. That's not even an incentive. It's a requirement. They can't keep too much in profit and overhead. In my most recent post about this, I made kind of a point about the press release. You quoted some of the numbers in it. That press release was a blizzard of numbers. 
It talked about what the insurance companies requested. It talked about how much that would have cost. It talked about how much they reduced those requests. And they never got around to saying what the rate increases would be. For additional information, follow this link. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, speaks volumes because I feel like that tells you what this is all about. It's about the appearance of effectiveness. It's about emphasizing the glass half full part of it, which is it could have been worse if we didn't intervene without talking about the bottom line effects, which are pretty darn bad. Well, finally, you brought up the word quality in there. And I'm curious because we asked the Health Plan Association this question after you reported on how much New York State pays for its premiums compared to other states in the country, does it seem like we're getting good quality care for those high premium costs? Is there any sort of translation that suggests that New Yorkers, by spending more for their insurance, are healthier or better health outcomes than than people around the country? It's actually kind of two questions there, because the, 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 the evidence we have about quality of care is actually pretty distressing. The federal government issues a report card about hospitals. It gives them one to five stars, five stars being the best. The average of all of our hospital star ratings is, you know, among the lowest in the country. A couple of years, it's actually literally been the lowest. I think right now it's about 46 out of the 50 states. We're either the biggest or one of the biggest spending states on healthcare in the country, and we're getting kind of bottom of the barrel quality from especially from our hospitals. A second question though is health outcomes. We're a bit healthier than the average state. And and that has to do I think with lifestyle and ethnic makeup and stuff like that that isn't necessarily related to the stuff that the healthcare system is doing. I guess I would argue that insurance companies are a whole layer removed from all of that, right? Like insurance companies don't control the quality of care in hospitals. Maybe they can influence it, but it's not ultimately up to them. They're paying claims. They don't control lifestyle choices. They can try to incentivize. They can say, you know, our rates are lower if you don't smoke. But other than that, they don't have much to say about our lifestyle. The quality that we look for in an insurance company has to do with how broad their network is, most of us want to be able to see the doctor of our choice. So if you have a broader network, that's viewed as higher quality. They also, the extent to which they try to do cost sharing, co-pays and co-insurance, our, our instinct is we want the insurance company to pay as much of the bill as possible. So that's what I meant. That, those are at least some of the quality considerations we have in mind when we're buying insurance. They're not necessarily the ones that are going to get us the best care. They're not necessarily the ones that are going to get us the best outcomes, but that's that's what we're shopping for when we shop for insurance. Well, we've been speaking with Bill Hammond. He is a senior fellow for health policy at the Empire Center for Public Policy. Bill, thanks for visiting us in the Capitol. Thank you for having me on. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.